Well, good morning. I was reminded that it's been a while since we gave you an update on the Ukraine Emergency Relief Project. So the medical package, $2,000 worth of medical supplies arrived in Ukraine and is at the clinic being used. So praise the Lord for that. The shipping container in Edmonds, Washington is almost completely full. Uh, they've got a couple more Costco runs ahead and that will be all wrapped up and sealed up and will be put on a ship hopefully this week. So pray for that. Pray for the logistics with that, that that will get going and that, man, that package made it all the way into the heart of Ukraine without a problem. Let's pray for that for the shipping container as well. Um, the families, the local refugee families that we have kind of adopted, um, I don't know if being adopted by someone from Rathrum is scary, but they moved to California. <laughs> so um, they, they actually had a job offer and a house offer uh, that was there for them. So they've transitioned to California and we've adopted another family. And we'll see if they're braver and will stick with us. So um, we're reaching out to them and seeing what we can do to help them along the way. So good stuff. Way to go, you guys. So here, here's this deal, you know, Rathdrum, Idaho, Boston, Massachusetts, Seattle, Washington, partnering together, and Idaho is, is, is paving the way. We have basically funded this project. Um, and it's not just us, but a, a couple of churches here in North Idaho that have, have really stepped up on this. So I love that. Boston didn't know how badly they needed us. So. <laughs> Seattle's going to need counseling after they realize it. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, we should get to the message because this is going nowhere good. Here's reality. I, I don't think I need to tell you this, but we live in a day when, when truth, it just seems like it is becoming a more and more elusive concept. And there, there are times where it is just hard to know what the truth is about so very many different issues. As someone says something and then the fact checkers come behind them and tell us that it isn't true. And well, let's just be honest, the fact checkers are not themselves entirely honest all the time. Yeah, go figure. There are a lot of people who think that they get to choose what's true and what isn't. The truth is, is somehow emotionally defined that if they just feel it deeply in the depths of their soul, then it must be true. People talking about your truth and their truth and uh, the truth that they found that works for them. Other people talk about, well, there's new truth. I, I guess that has... It, replaced expired old truths that are no longer truth. All this confusion has caused a lot of people to just give up on the whole concept of truth. And they've come to a place where they not only don't care what's true or isn't, but they don't think you can know what's true or what isn't. They've come to the decision that it is absolutely true that there are no absolute truths think on that for a while. 
So instead, they steer their lives by their own wants and desires, their own conclusions, or they simply follow along with majority opinion, with the, the current cultural consensus. Well, in the midst of a world that is being very quickly sucked into a quagmire of culturally defined and ever-changing relativistic truths, you and I, you and I, were to be different. Well, all around us, the world talks about truth that changes, that it adapts to each new situation, that it accommodates every whim of humanity, that submits to, to all of the demands of our culture. You and I were, were to be different. We are to, to stand strong and to live against the current. Friends, we have got to know, we have got to know the truth is not defined by our conclusions. Truth is not defined by what we want to be true, what we desire to be true, or even what we believe to be true. And truth is not defined by popular opinion or cultural trends. Truth is that which correlates with fact and reality. And truth does not change. You and I, you and I are to be those who hold to the revealed, absolute, and unchanging truth of God's word. Our passage this morning is a great example of what happens when that doesn't happen. It's a great picture of people living according to truth that has been disconnected from fact and reality. And so it ends up being truth that is bent and disregarded and self-defined. Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Open up to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. We're going to take a larger chunk this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand, and I really want you to follow along in your own Bible uh, so you can see what it is that we're looking at. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 25 this morning, believe it or not. So Luke chapter 23, we're going to pick up in verse 1. It's there that Luke records, Then their whole assembly rose up and brought him before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation opposing payment of taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you say so. Pilate then told the chief priests and the crowds, I find no grounds for charging this man. But they kept insisting. He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee where he started even to here. When Pilate heard this, he asked if the man was a Galilean. Finding that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem during those days. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. For a long time, he had wanted to see him because he had heard about him. 
and he was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. So he kept asking him questions, but Jesus did not answer him. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. Then Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt, mocked him, dressed him in bright clothing and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Previously, they'd been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the leaders and the people and said to them, you have brought me this man as one who misleads the people. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse him of. Neither is Herod, because he sent him back to us. Clearly, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. Then they all cried out together, take this man away, release Barabbas to us. He had been thrown into prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate addressed them again, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What has this man done wrong? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and released the one they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. Let's pray. Father, we need you to speak truth to our hearts. How do we live in a world of confusion, in a world that is increasingly confused, God, I pray that this morning as we look at these things, that you would just speak to us so clearly. God, that we would, we would understand this dynamic of understanding the source and the authority of truth and what, what an impact it has on who we are and how we live. God, that we would submit ourselves to you. the God who speaks truth into your word that is truth. Work in us, Lord. Work in this time. Help us to hear from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Well, as we examine this passage this morning, I think first and foremost, we've got to consider this, this contrast between those who see truth as something that is absolute, as something that is revealed to us by God, versus seeing it as something that, well, we each individually define I'd rather that be a, a definition that is situational or cultural or, or just a mere utilitarian way. 
And we've got to consider as well the impact that that choice has, not only on how we then live our lives, but even upon what sort of people we become because of that. Well, before we dive in, of course, let us uh, take a moment to remember our context. Uh, For those of you who have been following through this study, you'll know this. It, It was after three years of teaching openly, performing miracles all throughout Galilee and Judea, that Jesus was arrested by the jealous Jewish religious leaders. They arrested him, they interrogated him all through the night, and they held an early morning trial. And and at the end of that trial, they arrived at the verdict, well, that they had decided upon before the trial began. And they declared that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. He was guilty of blasphemy because he claimed to be the son of God, even though they never stopped to consider the fact that the evidence pointed in support of that claim. They found him guilty of blasphemy. And the punishment for blasphemy, well, that was death. But that created a problem for the Jewish religious leaders. Because you see, their Roman rulers did not allow them to execute anyone. And so what they would have to do is this. They would have to turn Jesus over to the Roman authorities and then somehow convince them that he was worthy of death, even though, quite frankly, the Roman authorities did not give a rip about this thing that the Jews called blasphemy. And so we pick up in verse 1, the whole assembly, meaning the Sanhedrin that had just met and convicted Jesus of blasphemy, they rose up and they brought Jesus before Pilate, the Roman governor, and they began to accuse him. But notice, in their accusations, they don't ever even bring up the issue of blasphemy. They began to accuse him, and here are the accusations they made. We found this man misleading the nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Messiah, a king. So the Sanhedrin, the the high court of the Jews, they present three charges against this prisoner to Pilate, the governor of Judea. First, they say that he is stirring up or misleading the people. And the sense here is that he is misleading them spiritually. And now, let's just be honest here. Uh, Pilate would not want any sort of turmoil amongst the people because he is trying to govern them. And yet, then again, the, the Jewish religious leaders, they have been quite a pain in the backside for Pilate. So he would not be entirely sorry to see them go either. But in the end, he really just did not care about the Jews' religious matters. He ignores the first charge. Secondly, they accuse Jesus of telling the people not to pay their taxes. Now, Pilate certainly would care about that. He would be more than willing to execute anyone who was doing that. And yet, Pilate seems to just simply ignore this charge as well. 
We don't know why, but I wonder, I think maybe, and maybe Pilate had heard what it was that Jesus had taught the people about paying taxes. And do you remember back to Luke chapter 20, just a few chapters back there when Jesus is asked about paying taxes to, to Rome, there he says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Oh, I imagine that that saying it would have been popularly repeated by any Roman who had heard it, especially if he did not fully understand what it was that Jesus was saying. Regardless, Pilate ignores that charge as well. And it's the third charge, the charge of sedition that Pilate focuses on. They charge Jesus as presenting himself as being a Jewish king who is in rebellion against Rome. And so Pilate, he, he just out and out asks Jesus, look at verse three, Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Are you? And Jesus answered, you say so. Once again, just as he had done during the interrogation and as he did during the trial before the Jewish religious leaders, Jesus gives an answer that is a, well, a qualified affirmation. It's a yes, but answer. Here, when Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus basically responds, well, yes, I am, but not in the way that you're thinking. Uh, certainly, Jesus was not interested in setting up an earthly kingdom. He, he did not see himself, nor did he have any interest in becoming an earthly king. We know this. We know this for fact because of John chapter 6. It's there in John chapter 6 after Jesus feeds the 5,000. In response, they turn back to Jesus and they want to crown him as their king thinking if you have a king who feeds you free lunch every day, that's a good, good thing. <laughs> but how does Jesus respond to the people wanting to make him king? It says when Jesus realized they were about to come and to take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, when the crowds come to make Jesus their king, there in Galilee, Jesus tells them to go home. He sends his disciples across the lake. He goes away by himself. He wants absolutely nothing to do with that. The question is, how does Pilate know? How does Pilate know that that wasn't Jesus's thing? Well, John's gospel tells us that Jesus and Pilate had quite a conversation and gives us more of that conversation to look at. There in John chapter 18, at one point, Jesus in verse 36 tells Pilate plainly, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom isn't here on this earth, which is why we read in verse 4, in our passage, the Pilate told the chief priests and the crowds, I find no grounds for charging this man. Oh, but that's not what they wanted to hear, is it? And so verse five, they kept insisting. 
They kept insisting. They told Pilate, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee where he started even to here. And when Pilate heard this, he asked if the man was Galilean. See, something is beginning to percolate in, in Pilate's mind. Uh, Pilate is, he has already decided that Jesus is innocent. He, he could clearly see that the religious leaders were just looking for a way to kill him. Pilate also, though, doesn't want conflict with the Jewish religious leaders. He, he doesn't want uh, the crowd to become riotous. He's decided what is right, and yet uh, there's this problem, there's this situation that is keeping him from doing what he thinks is right. Oh, you see, Pilate, Pilate had already had more than enough trouble with the Jews, uh, enough that the emperor, the emperor of Rome, was ready to punish Pilate <laughs> if he could not maintain the peace and order there in Judea. So when Pilate hears that Jesus is from Galilee, that he's a Galilean, Pilate thinks, well, this isn't my problem. This isn't my problem. This is Herod Antipas's problem because Herod Antipas is the ruler over Galilee. And so Pilate happily sent his problem to Herod, who also happened to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. Verse 8, Herod was very glad to see Jesus. For a long time, he'd wanted to see him because he'd heard about him and was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. So he kept asking him questions. But Jesus did not answer him. And the chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. You see, Herod, Herod had heard all about Jesus over the years. In fact, at one point, we're told that Herod was looking for Jesus. Now, Herod that we're talking about here is Herod Antipas. He is the son of Herod the Great, Herod the Great is the guy who built the Temple Mount and who slaughtered the children of Bethlehem when he would to was told that a new king had been born. His son, Herod Antipas, is the guy who beheaded John the Baptist. Antipas and, and John the Baptist, they had a bit of a strange relationship. And John, uh, John bluntly spoke the truth to Antipas, openly rebuking him for having stolen his brother's wife. That's a messed up family. <laughs> and yet, as Mark 6.20 tells us, Herod, speaking of Antipas, feared John and protected him, knowing that he was a righteous and a holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed. And yet he liked to listen to him. Here's the problem, though. Because Herod had no intention to take action on what he heard, he liked to listen to John, but he had absolutely no plans to change how he was living based upon what he heard. That listening, that hearing of the truth, it didn't set Herod free. But because he refused to respond to it, it did nothing but harden his heart. It made him calloused to the truth. 
to the point that eventually, on a whim, Antipas had John executed. Paul describes in 1 Timothy 4 those who have a seared conscience. Friends, you should be, you should be careful about that. You should be careful. It is a dangerous thing to hear the truth, but to refuse to obey it. It's not something to be played with. You know, for Herod, he came to a place where right and wrong no, no longer really meant anything to him. Quite honestly, Herod had become a, a, a rather frivolous and rather unserious man, a man not worthy of any respect. So when Jesus was sent to him, he saw it only as an opportunity for entertainment. That's all he was interested in. And so we see in verse 11, and when Jesus refuses to entertain Herod with miracles, then Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt, mocked him, dressed him in bright clothing, and sent him back to Pilate. You see, when Jesus refuses to entertain Herod, Herod entertains himself by mistreating Jesus and sends him back to Pilate without even bothering to address the issue of his guilt or his innocence. It says here that from that point on, Herod and Pilate became friends. I really guess I don't understand exactly how that worked because Herod really didn't help Pilate at all. He just sent Jesus back to him without a decision. And so Pilate, Pilate having made the decision that Jesus was innocent, in verse 13, he called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and he said to them, listen, you brought me this man as one who misleads the people. Let me make this plain, he says. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I found no ground to charge this man with those things you accuse him of. Neither has Herod. He sent him back to us. Clearly, he's done nothing to deserve death. And yet, and yet, look at what, look at what Pilate says next. Therefore, because he is innocent, therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. You see, Pilate, Pilate has made his decision. Jesus is faultless. But because his decision is based only upon his thoughts, his authority, his decision, it does not have a strong foundation. And therefore, Pilate has no problem compromising a little and giving an innocent man a whipping in order to teach him a lesson. Without any sense of contradiction, Pilate declares in one breath, he's done nothing, and so I will have him whipped. Now, some of your translations there right after verse 16 
have verse 17. And you'd expect that, right? But some of them don't. As some of them, after verse 16, have verse 18, as skipping over the content that is included in other translations uh, that is part of verse 17. Uh, please understand, you don't need to freak out over this, okay? Uh, the, when we take a look at this, this just makes sense. You see, the content of verse 17 is only included in a few of the ancient manuscripts. And in those manuscripts in which it is included, it's included in a couple of different locations. It's not always in the same place. And it always isn't worded exactly the same in all of the manuscripts. It seems most likely the verse 17 is what we would call a scribal note. It's a clarifying note that one of the copyists added as they were copying the passage and basically, it tells us exactly what Mark 15, 6 tells us. The pilot usually released a prisoner each Passover. It's nothing new. It's nothing controversial. And it probably is not a part of the original text, but is merely a note added by a copyist trying to help us to understand the dynamics of what's going on, trying to help us understand why it is the Pilate would talk about releasing someone who was a prisoner because he has just said that he is willing to release Jesus. And when Pilate brings that up, the response in verse 18 of the crowd is, no, 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 we don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas. So they all cried out, verse 18, take this man, Jesus, away and release to us Barabbas. And Luke tells us that this man, Barabbas, who is, by the way, otherwise completely unknown to history, that he had been thrown in prison for rebellion and murder. Now, no doubt, no doubt this man had been thrown in prison for rebellion and murder, and he was eventually released uh, by Pilate. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, tries to address the crowd. He tries to avoid this, uh, this switch that they are wanting, but they will have none of it. They keep shouting, crucify, crucify him. And the crowd, as Matthew 27 tells us, it compelled by the religious leaders, spurred on, ask for this Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be executed. One last time in verse 22, Pilate contends for what he believes is right. A third time he said to them, why? What has he done wrong? I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that Jesus be crucified. And their voices went out. Pilate had decided what was right but Pilate surrenders to the pressure of the crowd 
he abandons what he knows is true and does instead what will work best for his situation. We read the pilot decided to grant their demand and released the one they were asking for, but handed Jesus over to their will. And so we have here in this scene the religious leaders, the crowds, we have Pilate, we have Herod, and each of them have a, a, a rather warped view of truth and, and how it works. Uh, the religious leaders view truth as something that is malleable, as something to be shaped, something to be bent. They, they interpret it, they massage it, and they present it in the context of their choosing. And all it is is a tool for them to use to try to get the result that they want. And that result for them is to get rid of Jesus. The crowd... Crowd is much like crowds today. It's a lot like social media. <laughs> they choose their truth without really knowing anything about it. I wonder how many of them actually knew who Barabbas was, or for that matter, who Jesus was. They are certainly passionate and they are sincere. They are all in. They're also wrong. Pilate, Pilate saw himself as being the authority behind truth. I mean, after all, he was the judge. He was the governor of Judea. And he was the unelected ruler of that whole region. And he served under a sovereign emperor who claimed to be a god and whose word was treated as if it determined truth. Uh, but understand this. If the authority for what you determine to be truth is nothing more than you, that's not a foundation that is sturdy enough to hold up against any opposition. And like Pilate, every time you make a statement of truth, it will be followed by the word but. You notice that as we're reading through this? Pilate says he is innocent, but. He is innocent, but the crowd. And there is opposition, and eventually Pilate buckles. Then there's Herod pathetic figure. He'd given up on truth. No longer interested in it. No longer believing that you can know what the truth is. You and I, we are to take a different approach. We are to have a different view of truth than any of that. Well, the world around us embraces a subjective view of truth, an ever-changing and evolving view of truth. God's word presents truth as being something that is, first of all, revealed by God to us. 
Secondly, is absolute. And thirdly, is always unchanging. Truth isn't something that we create according to our own preferences. It isn't something that that we define, but rather that is revealed to us by God. Now, I have to admit, we won't always know the truth. And there will be times that we think we know it, but we're wrong. But what we have to understand is the truth itself by its nature will exist whether we get it or not. It is defined not by us coming to an understanding of it, but by God determining it. It is absolute. It is unchanging. And if we want to get the truth, we need to look to the Lord for it. In John 17, 17, Jesus prays for us. And he prays to the Father and he says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. And Jesus prays that, the, that God's truth, that the, the truth would be that which would shape us and, and form us and grow us and draw us closer to him. And then Jesus says this, your word is truth. It is the word of God that we must hold to. It is the word of God that we must build our lives upon in the midst of a world that is so confused that they they don't know what a woman is. We can hold to truth. We can know some things to be definite and to be clear. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells us that we need to build our lives on the rock. Because the storms are going to come, and if we build our life on anything else, it's going to end up a shambles. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears the word of God, but hearing isn't enough. Understand this. Hearing isn't enough. Look at what he says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and who acts on them who takes them and applies them to their life and to their living. It's not just a hearing of it, but it is a submitting of our lives to it. He says, he will be like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock and the rain will fall and the rivers will rise and the winds will blow and pound against that house, but it won't collapse because the foundation is on the rock. Stuff's going to come. Life is going to get messy. But if we build our lives on the rock, on the truth of God, it will sustain us. We will stand. But understand this. Understand this. What Jesus is here is for those of us inside the room. It isn't so much for those out there. Because listen to what he says. He doesn't say for those who have not heard. He says, those who hear these words of mine, but don't act on them. They hear the truth. They hear it, but they are unwilling to submit themselves to it. Jesus says, they are like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Rain's going to fall, the river's going to rise, the wind's going to blow, it's going to pound the house, 
and it will fall. Friends, in the midst of a world that finds truth to be utterly elusive, in a time when so many find it hard to know what the truth is, in a time when truth is it is seen as ever-changing and evolving. You and I must hold strong. We must hold fast to the word of God. We must not only live and clearly proclaim, but we must cling to the unchanging, unshakable truth of God's word. Amen. Get in it. Don't only hear it. Submit yourself to it. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Lord, we need you to take what we have heard and Lord, to work it into our lives. God, to to break up the fallow ground. Lord, those, those areas where we have been so stubborn in resisting you. God, we might be willing. We might be willing to hear what you say. To submit ourselves to it. That we would cling to truth we would have confidence in truth. We would live our lives according to truth. That, Lord, you would sanctify us by the truth. You would shape us and form us and build us by your word. Work that in us, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name.